Welcome to Talk About. On Talk About, our goal is to sit down with open-minded people for open and honest discussion. No judgment, no hidden agenda, just getting the conversation started. This week we're joined by Mike Sala. Mike is a mycologist at Sporometrics Inc. And in this fascinating conversation, he breaks down the crucial role fungi plays in nature, as well as the groundbreaking research his lab is undertaking in analyzing magic mushrooms for clinical trials on the road to legalization in Canada. Sit back and enjoy the show. Cheers, my friends. Coffee, cheers. I got a little tea on the go here. Cheers, right in the camera, I like it. (laughs) (laughs) Now I decided that I was just gonna go with regular tea. Uh, instead of going with with a, a nice mushroom tea, because I, I want to be lucid, I want to know what the heck is going on. Um, and uh, I did. I, I also have a a mushroom uh, coffee. Uh, so I, I guess these companies have have come out with these different types of of coffees. You've probably seen them on the market. I can't remember what the name of this one is. It tastes good. I don't know that it has any hallucinogenic products, but I think what they've done is they've probably taken out some of the health qualities or health benefits that they've determined uh, from the mushroom and they've started to market these coffees. Are you familiar with these, these things at all? I mean, not, not specific products, but I mean, I, I have noticed a couple of uh, general mushroom multivitamin type things, you know, like the Jameson brand or whatever those brands are at the, at the pharmacy. And it just says like, mushrooms and it's just like it seems like it's a a blend of of medicinal mushrooms so there's there's a lot of mushrooms that have uh beneficial health properties like the lion's mane um maitake cordyceps and they're probably just collecting a bunch of them and blending them together and and packaging it in a pill it's becoming popular i think people are are responding pretty well i mean you see them see them around and I assume people are buying them. So uh, yeah. I, I think that it's, it's like a lot of multivitamins and people see these different things and, and new wave information kind of comes out and people are like, well, I want to, I want to read the benefits of these natural remedies, but I, I, like in the back of my skeptic mind, uh, although I, I do believe in the qualities of say like mushrooms and, you know, marijuana and these types of things, but in the back of my skeptic mind, I think to myself, if Jameson is putting together these things, have they actually taken the 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 real quality stuff out of these mushrooms? And or or is it just almost a placebo? I mean, mm-hmm. I have no idea when it comes to that kind of stuff. Is there? A, do you guys have any opinions on that? Like, you're a mycologist, just to state that. Yes. And, and first, actually, before you answer that question, what is a mycologist study? Uh, mycologists study fungi. Um, generally speaking, fungi. Um, there are ones that specialize in in sort of the different branches of the fungal kingdom, uh, and then others that are are more in on the micro side or the macro side. And so there's all there's a few different sort of uh, uh, branches there. I should say with mushrooms in general, we are typically talking about uh, a branch of the the fungal kingdom called the basidiomycetes. Um, those are your typical fruiting body mushrooms that you see when you walk in the forest, uh, with some exceptions, of course, but uh, um, those are mostly, they're called basidiomycetes. Um, and they're one of the higher order 
fungi that create a fruiting body to reproduce. Uh, the fruiting body holds spores and the spores, uh, once the mushroom grows, the spores get ejected so that they can usually um, disperse through the wind uh, onto uh, new places to reproduce. And that's the way that they propagate themselves. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. So now, so that being said, let's, let's jump back to the vitamin thing for a quick second. It is just a a complete random thought. Do you think that there is any health benefits to those that are on the market? I I think there are. And I think mushrooms have uh, quite a bit of, of positive health benefits, but I mean, I think, I think when someone says, Hey, this is, you know, a miracle food, or this is uh, something that's fantastic for you. I mean, there's a lot of like, you know, for example, food in our regular diet, that's, it's, it's good for you. Right. And, um, you know, we eat it, you know, as much as we can. And, and I think there's a difference between like something that's a sort of magic bullet solution to health problems versus something that's, that's just good for you. Right. Like apples are good for you too. And they have fantastic vitamins and, and, and nutrients that, you know, our body needs and you'll probably feel better after eating an apple. And, and I would say the same for, for mushrooms, uh, the medicinal and, and sort of health oriented uh, uh, mushrooms. Uh, they are good for you. They do scientifically shown to contain uh, nutrients and, and compounds that are good for you. Uh, some of the research does focus on, on certain aspects of those, those, those benefits, such as uh, cancer curing properties or or I don't know, migraine curing properties or, or uh, neurological benefits, things like that. Um, I'm not entirely sure what the state of the science is uh, on that, but those are, um, those are the kind of study, you know, studies need to happen. You know, you need to show, it usually takes many studies and, and you need to show many statistically significant effects on, on, groups that you're studying on to, to really say that uh, something has an effect, let's say on cancer, right? But, you know, before we get to that point, I'm sure it's, mushrooms are definitely shown to have, to have good, good compounds in them that are good uh, for human consumption, just like a lot of other, a lot of other foods. Yeah. I like, uh, I like that you, you use the, the, the example of apples, right? Because yeah, you're absolutely right. There's a lot of food out there that you're going to feel a lot better if you consume that than a bag of chips or something that's processed with all those additives, right? Yeah. <laughs> so people uh, like, there was a couple of years ago that I, I did a, a paleo uh, diet for, for about yeah. six months. And I gotta say, I I've never felt more clear headed. Uh, mm-hmm. physically great inflammation was down across the board. And I was yeah. like, damn, like this feels good. And yeah. not only that, but your taste buds come back as well. And you start to taste things in their natural forms. Oh, yeah. um, of course, you know, the body craves what the body craves after you put it back in there. Yeah. Uh, but man, like there is a lot to be said about that. So that's actually a great comparison. And one of the biggest reasons why I want you here today is because not you're, you're not just a mycologist, but you're speaking of the health benefits of, of uh, fungi and you're just the person to talk to because your lab has actually been approached to start the process of the, the steps it's going to take to legalize here in Ontario. And I don't know if it's just Ontario or if it's Canada, but the legalization process of mushrooms uh, as we know it here. Uh, 
And when we talked about this, you were beaming, like you were so jacked up. You're like, I can't wait. This is going to be amazing. So, um, so like, so you're not just a guy who studies mushrooms and, and fungi, um, but your, your lab is actually in the process of doing this. That's pretty fascinating. It's something that I want to focus on today because we had talked about that whole idea of the street to the lab um, mushrooms and, and it's kind of its evolution and, and you're kind of at the forefront of it now. Uh, first obvious question, why are you so excited I mean, I think it's it's a really cool project. I think, uh, I mean, there's a lot of reasons. Um, ultimately, what gets me excited is the fact that using psychedelics, uh, mushrooms being one of them, but there there are some others in medicine. You know, for the for the treatment of of diseases that have kind of been too complex or been left by the wayside to to treat. Um, you know, complex mental illnesses and, and, and things like that, even simple men mental illnesses, um, have gone through periods in history where they're either not taken seriously or they're they're treated in 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 with either too heavy or or too light of, of narcotics um, that you know leaves the the uh, the patient either not healed or or maybe worse off. I mean, I don't know. I'm not again. I'm not a psychiatrist on. You know, so I don't know all the details there, but it, it seems that, you know, mental illness has been kind of ignored um, for the last few decades in, in, in medicine and in, in, in that field. And I think the biggest thing that gets me excited is, is psychedelics could possibly play a massive role in sort of confronting that and, and dealing with that um, um, you know, rates of anxiety and, and other mental health disorders, PTSD and things like that are through the roof these days for, for various reasons. And um, I feel like we're at the forefront of, of doing something special that, you know, we can really help a lot of people sort of, of getting these drugs um, basically tested, purified, uh, brought up to the level of pharmaceutical grade so that they can be tested on, on people with various uh, illnesses. Uh, that really gets me excited. It's very, very cool. Yeah, that, that it's, it's pretty phenomenal. And it's kind of interesting too, because it's not like this is new. Um, you know, they've been testing the medicinal qualities of these different drugs for decades. Um, and like you said, I, a great way to put it, uh, at times treated too heavily with narcotics and, at, uh, you know, mental illness and, and at times not enough. Um, but I like the fact that when you start to take a look at the data that's been collected from these guys back in the day, and they, you know, for lack of a better term called hippies, whatever you want to, to label them as, and these guys and, and girls were experimenting on these things. And the thing that always blows my mind is the lack of side effects compared to some of the you know, legal medications that are on the markets. And I know that that opens itself up for a whole level of scrutiny with big pharma and where all the money is. And, and I, I get that. And I, I even believe it to an extent, but at some point in time, the data has to start to speak up. Um, do you think that there is a problem with big pharma uh, in terms of kind of shutting out some of the natural remedies that have been at our disposal for so long? 
Yeah, I mean, well, this is obviously huge, just your opinion. Yeah, obviously, yeah. yeah. And and while I'm not a huge expert, I mean, I think um, they're they're running a business, right? Uh, their business is is pharmaceutical products, and if they were selling something that you know cured some uh, illness, you know, they would be enticed to to sell more of it. So, I mean, if there was Let's say there was some illness where some flower from the Himalayas would cure it naturally or something like that. I mean, it's a bit of a stretch, but, you know, uh, versus some compound that is manufactured at, you know, Pfizer or whoever. Um, and, and I was the company that was the pharmaceutical company. I would try and push my solution since it would, you know, make me make more money. And I would, you know, maybe consider casting doubt on, some alternatives. Um, well, I can't speak exactly to them, you know, actually doing that. I mean, it's it stands to reason that, it, you know, you it's about money, it's about politics, it's about all these kinds of, of things. Um, any big business is, right? And uh, whether you're making drugs or you're making weapons for, for armies, it's it becomes political, right? When there's billions of dollars at stake. So yeah, I mean, I think... Um, yeah, I would, I would, you know, agree they're, they're, they're a big business and uh, they're, they got bottom lines to, uh, to me. Right. So. Yeah. That's totally fair. Yeah. I think the, uh, the thing that interests me though, is I'm talking now to a person who works in a lab uh, who was approached by a company to start the process of legalizing mushrooms, fungi, uh, magic mushrooms. What do you technically call it? We call it psilocybe, which is the genus name of the mushroom, a magic mushroom, but the most common uh, magic mushroom. And what that mushroom does is as it grows, and I assume this is an evolutionary anti-herbivory type uh, mechanism, is that it produces uh, several compounds to either, well, I guess, depending on who you ask, the, the jury's out there on whether it would be most, most compounds in nature are, are, are either anti-herbivory, so they prevent, they're either poisonous, so they want to prevent an animal from eating them until they're ready to disseminate their seeds or spores, right? They don't want to put all this effort into growing a tree and then something will just come and eat them before they get to reproduce. So it's either preventing something from eating them or conversely, once they're ready to be eaten, or ready to disperse, actually become very attractive to be eaten, right? Uh, such as fruit and apple. We can go back to apples, right? Apples are sour and weird tasting when they're not ripe. So you can be tempted to pick one, you taste it, it's like, eh, it's gross. Once apples are super ripe, everyone wants to eat them. It's not just us. Uh, animals in nature like to eat them. And then what happens is they eat them they, they, you know, go for a stroll and they, once they, you know, take a poop, their seeds are, 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 have been dispersed somewhere else for a tree to grow, right? So I think depending on who you ask with the mushrooms, um, the compound, and the compounds I'm speaking about are the ones that, I guess, get you high. So it's uh, names, one of the, the main one is psilocybin uh, and then psilocin. Uh, those are the two major ones um, named after the genus name of the magic mushroom. So depending on who you ask, it's either anti-herbivory. So while it might get a human high, it may actually 
kill a small insect or something like that. Or conversely, because they've actually found these mushrooms growing out of the dung of uh, cows and, and bulls and yaks and things like that. So some people, that has led some people to hypothesize, well, hey, they must be eating them because we're finding them in their dung down the road. I don't know if we know, uh, maybe I haven't seen the state of the art research on this, but I don't know if, if those cows actually feel high or they may feel something else or who, who knows. But so there is evidence for, for probably both things and it could actually be both things um, where it, it, it doesn't let insects and things damage the fruiting body of the mushroom as it's growing. But then once it's ready, cow, cow will come and then disperse it somewhere else and uh, sort of help it spread. But then again, it does have wind dispersed spores. So they may not need a cow to disperse it uh, because if it grows and once it opens its cap, spores start going flying and then at so that I'm point sure in time, multifactorial, yeah. Sure, I guess at that point in time, then all they need is the proper ingredients in order to 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 grow itself. Which, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I'm not, I'm, I have no idea about this stuff, and I, I know very little about even uh, gardening. But if the spores do open up over dung, for instance, would that not be a good breeding ground for it to to bloom? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And dung is a very common. Uh, uh, growth media for many kinds of mushrooms. Um, I mean, I think as as a kid in the in the playground, it was always like you know. It, I think it usually takes a long time for kids to start liking mushrooms. And one of the things you hear in the playground is like, "Ew, mushrooms are grown on poop," which is you know not far from the truth, right? It is. Uh, uh, it is one of the most common and cheap uh, uh, growth medias. Um, and it's quite nutritious to to fungi. Uh, fungi seem to like it a lot. So uh, yeah, definitely uh, a good one. And there are actually lab techniques for trying to do this. Um, I don't think we'll be doing that in our lab. That's good. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, you can. I mean, there there's a whole bunch of different techniques. Um, basically, fungi for the most part are decomposers of plant material, mostly cellulose amongst other, they can decompose a, a wide variety of, of nature's building blocks, right? They're the reason that, you know, all the trees that fall in the forest aren't, aren't still there, right? They, they get decomposed back in the soil. That is largely due to, to fungi decomposing uh, wood uh, and components of wood, cellulose and lignin and things like that. Leaf material. I mean, plants are mostly cellulose. If my botany major serves me correctly. <laughs> um, so and that's what fungi is. So they're, they're the major decomposers of plant life in nature. And so when we bring them into the lab, we are basically uh, creating a a growth medium for them to decompose plant materials. So the common uh, growth media, and and the reason that dung is so popular is cows and other ruminant animals, they're eating tons of plant material. Um, So their dung is composed, I mean, while they are able to digest cellulose, um, where we cannot digest cellulose, um, 
I think it cre still creates um, such a great medium for, for them to grow. Um, so when we bring them into the lab, we're, we're looking at growing on, on plant-based materials. So basically straw, wood chips are common, sawdust is common, grains are very common. So rye, uh, rye and, uh, and wheat, uh, rice is very common, especially brown rice. So those are the type of growth mediums that are common. And they're the ones we will experiment on when we, when we start growing at our lab. That's so fascinating. You, you've come up with like probably three avenues that I, I want to go down. Um, <laughs> sure. but the, the one thing I want to touch on and circle back to is, is just the idea of, um, mushrooms going through their, their evolution and how they protect themselves to, to keep propagating. It, it, it's very much like anything else that lives. I mean, the, the way that you're describing it is, is not unlike any other, any other living thing that has devised different techniques in order to not be killed off before they get a chance to spread their seed, which from fungi to us as human beings, that's exactly what we're all doing. Uh, so I find that's a really cool, I, the way that you talk about it with such passion, I can see the respect that you have for it. Um, but we had, we had also talked before we came on here about gardening. Mm -hmm. And how you know the the remnants and and the leftovers of mushrooms and 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 experimental things can be added to gardens and and you had talked about that how it's a it's a good like not only good but almost necessary. Uh, I didn't realize that it broke down like it it broke down as many components as it did and helped in that decomposition and and adding back to the soil. That's really fascinating because you know you walk in a forest you see mushrooms everywhere and I think. Mm -hmm. I think most people think the same thing I do. Oh, these are magic mushrooms. You know, you just see a mushroom growing in the wild. They're not all created equally, of course, but I don't realize, I just don't figured, no, no. Don't God. eat random mushrooms. Uh, okay, so I that, recommend not to do that. That's the disclaimer. That that's yeah. that's what we'll that's what we'll open with. Um, but so it's not just a matter of uh, mushrooms growing in dark, damp places. These things are actually necessary in order to break these things down. Absolutely, they they they're the they're primary decom decomposers of nature, and they've they've you know it's funny because different mushrooms and different fungi have kind of constantly evolved with plants to just keep breaking that thing down, right? And it's gotten to the point where if you know. Um, certain fruit are decomposing, let's say, you you will know which fungi you'll find there because there are certain ones that will go after apples and certain ones that will go after oranges and so on and so forth. And they, they become very specialized in the things they break down and they break them down faster than other things, right? Because it's funny, for the, for the things in nature that can't move, like humans can move and insects can move. So, I mean, they, they've evolved wild forms of, of, of both defense mechanisms and, and ways to, to be where they need to be to get the food first. Like they're there, they're always there. Um, and, you know, back to the defense mechanism thing before whatever organism developed to have legs to run away from danger, trees can't run away right so they have they need to have chemicals in them that prevent attack right and there's a constant arms race in nature like for, let's say for 
the easy example is like bugs eating plants, right? It's bugs want to eat plants. Plants don't want bugs to eat them. So over time, they develop a chemical and then the bugs can't eat them. And then the bugs, over time, they evolve to get past that defense and then the plants evolve and it's like an arms race, right? But yeah, I digress. Back to, to fungi and, and being the primary. No, I, I think that that's, thing. I think that's fascinating because I mean, it, it, to me, I'm just, when I'm thinking of this evolution and I'm obsessed with evolution, uh, I don't know why. I just, I think it's utterly fascinating. And uh, so when I'm, when you're talking about this, that's exactly what ends up happening. But I always think about things getting better, like stronger or healing faster or digestive systems being able to compensate for the poisons that it's ingesting. So that way these things can stay here and not become extinct. Is it a matter of it getting better or is it just a matter of it j just adapting? Like I think the official scientific view on evolution is that it is random. When you look through time, you can, so, you know, observationally, you can say there's a tendency for, for things to have become more complex. Um, humans are pretty complex and we haven't, we weren't around like a billion years ago. Things had to like sort of go through some steps. So, I mean, there's a tendency to believe that it is sort of directional, better and, and increasing complexity. Um, there is increasing complexity that goes without a doubt. But I think what happens with evolution is it's totally random changes where the environment is selecting for those changes at that time, right? So I mean, I mean, there's oh, there's a lot of examples. I mean, you can you can look at uh, what's an easy example. There, humans. There are humans that you know they they gain weight really quickly, right? And that wasn't, and I myself am one of that. <laughs> And that was an evolutionary advantage when food sources were not stable. They can eat when there's food, they put on weight because there's a time coming when there's no food. When you move someone like me, which is, is that, that uh, genotype or phenotype, to a place like North America where food is just plenty, it's very different. And I start putting on the pounds because that's sort of the way. We, so, I mean, one can say that this adaptation is you know, you can't really say it's not good or good. It just depends on the, where you are in North America. It's not, it's great because foods, food falls out of the sky here, <laughs> but you know, where my ancestors may have come from that it was a fantastic thing. And it, it, it is the reason I'm, you know, our lineage is still here. Yeah. Right. So those, those adaptations are important, but they're sort of random and it depends on where you time and place is, is really important. And that's sort of the underlying thing with evolution. It's fascinating when you use that example, because I think the one thing that uh, comes to mind for me is these adaptations, uh, and you could probably speak to this better, uh, but adaptations take a long time, right? They, these things don't happen overnight, but yeah. it seems as though we've put ourselves in positions, many positions that it has happened in, in overnight type fashion. Um, you know, from the beginning of, of this earth to where it is now is a hell of a long period of time based on where we came from being able to run away, like you said, to where we are now. It almost seems like we haven't even had a chance to adapt to the multitude of things that are at our disposal um, and, and the ability to think about ways to then improve our situations. And then you see that impact on the climate um, and 
I mean, the, the evidence is there, but it, it does seem as though time is a big factor. We haven't had oh, a chance yeah. to, to adapt to these, these different things. And some of these things, I don't know that we ever will adapt to. We, yeah, <laughs> that's true. I mean, from what I, so from what I recall, Homo sapiens been around for about a quarter million years. And then the other Homo species, millions of years. If I recall, we may have diverged from our last common ancestor with like the great apes, uh, maybe like six million-ish years ago. These are numbers off the top of my head. But, but then when you look at those time scales and then you look at civilization, so starting about 10,000 years ago with the farming revolution and then starting all of 130 years ago with the industrial revolution, these are blinks of an eye in the, in the time scale, right? So our ability to adapt to, to, to things, uh, you know, it does take a long time. And one popular or common misconception is that humans, individual individuals can adapt, individuals cannot adapt. You are the victim of your DNA that, and your DNA will never change. Now there are some new research on sort of the epigenetic things that I'm up, not up on, um, but we can comfortably say you won't change very much. Um, populations change. So we change as we reproduce and there's a genetic variation built into the meiosis of sperm and egg production and then them combining and it's a little bit of a lottery and then you come out with some adapted maybe you get you come up with a new genotype that may or may not be adapted for the environment and then the principle of evolution is the ones that are better adapted will reproduce more right we're still in the uh in terms of the things humanity needs to adapt to in this day and age, which is it's changing every day. I mean, you know, our generations are, I guess we're even waiting longer to reproduce. So our generations now like on average 25 to 30 years before a new generation will come around, things are changing way faster than that. Right. And then, so. then you have the added complication. I'll, I'll say complication of our minds, right? Like, you know, we're talking about, we're talking about legalizing mushrooms. Uh, we've already gone through in Canada legalizing marijuana and that's brought with it, you know, CBD oil and, and a whole new way of thinking there and, and some pretty good evidence. And personally, I take CBD oil and I actually notice a difference uh, in, in my mindset. So it's not just like a physical adaptation anymore of just getting food and surviving and propagating but it's the, it's the brain side of things and how it gets inundated with all of this other stuff and how we're supposed to compensate for that as well. So it almost seems like we're in this middle ground where we've, I, I don't want to say mastered, but it seems, it feels like we've, we've pretty much got a conquering uh, hold on how to spread our genes. Like mm -hmm. humans aren't going to go extinct. I don't think anytime soon. Not, I mean, not without any uh, catastrophe. Uh, exactly. Horizon, but that's a whole other discussion. Yeah. And, and, and I, I love that topic because it's, it's a hundred percent there. Uh, yeah. Listen to it. Actually listen to a great podcast series uh, uh, by Josh Clark, where he goes through and he just identifies all the top things that could end our species. Um, and it's, it's, it's fascinating if you're, you know, it's a little twisted in the mind, but yeah. 
yeah, other than how we're destroying the planet, to put it in a <laughs> nutshell, uh, we, we figured it out, right? Like there, there are people now that can be in uh, different types of relationships um, uh, or just, or be solitude and not have to procreate in order for our species to go on. Mm-hmm. But it seems as though with that kind of figured out, we still don't know how to raise people, but um, <laughs> the mental side of things is, is the yeah. thing that is the most concerning to not only me, obviously yourself, you know, you're thinking about everybody's thinking about this thing. And oh, yeah. I'm just saying like, let's throw as much things out there as possible. Like, why are we eliminating anything at this point? Right. right? right. Like, let's, let's see if we can put some handcuffs on these brains, guide them in the right direction. Clearly we can't control ourselves. I guess that's the one thing. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a sticky situation right now. So your lab, Let's get to yeah. your lab for a second. Sure. So, so your yeah. lab is, uh, has been approached by, by a company. So you guys are now in the process. Like you're at the, at the, at the infancy, infancy, you're right at the start yes, of very of much process. So, yes. so walk me through this. Like what, what have you guys already gone through and where are you now? And, and like, yeah, how long is it going to take for us to get mushrooms legalized? Oh, the legal <laughs> question is, uh, that's a difficult one. <laughs> that's why I saved um, it for last. I imagine there will be a time not too far away where it it will be used as medicine via prescription. So similar as some other drugs are, you can only get it with a prescription. I don't. I think that's within uh, five years. Um, but anyways, let's let's come back to the beginning sure. of that question. Yeah. So so uh, we're working with a company that is uh, is was basically founded by uh, the psychiatric side of all of this. So they're the ones that are interested in um, exploring how psychedelics can be used uh, to treat mental illness. Um, And they're the ones who are uh, sort of pushing the envelope on on trying to get clinical trials uh, underway and really seeing the effect that that these psychedelics uh, can have on, on people, there is really promising research in that, in that field with uh, magic mushrooms, uh, ketamine, MDMA, a whole, a whole suite of the, the psychedelic drugs that they call them, that there, there's huge promise there. Um, so that company basically needs a, a supply of of drugs to to uh, to perform their clinical trials. So uh, they approached us. Uh, we are a um, G- we are a GMP uh, laboratory. We we specialize in mycology, and so it seemed like it was a natural fit. Uh, we do have a pre existing relationship with um, Health Canada uh, in terms of certifications and things like that. So we are uh, working with Health Canada to uh, basically get the licensing to legally produce magic mushrooms, which is really exciting. Um, And part of that is um, uh, security clearances. Do you have, they have to make sure that uh, once you're producing a narcotic, which people would, might be interested in, in 
stealing from you, let's say, you have to be uh, a highly secured uh, facility and, and things like that. So they have requirements for that and we're, we're working through that. And um, once that's done, we can start growing. So we have not started growing yet, but we are doing the research into that, um, uh, securing equipment and, uh, and sort of looking through uh, different growing techniques and doing some research on that and sort of planning our approach. Um, uh, so basically what we're, the way I see us, we're going to basically take uh, a, a drug that has never been produced, at least in large quantities in a, in a regulated GMP sort of way, you know, it's always been like a street drug. And we're going to try and we're going to bring that into the lab, right? We're going to try and, and bring that, um, produce it sort of as Health Canada would, would see uh, any other drug, uh, would require any other drug to be produced. And then once we can do that, then we can pass that along to, to the clinical trial sponsors and the clinical trials can get underway, which is really exciting. I mean, as I said, the thing that gets me jacked is, is that this can actually help people. So it would be, it's really nice. To, it would be really nice to, for the day to come that, oh, these are the mushrooms that, that we grew here at our lab. And it's actually being, it's in a trial, which would be, that would be a very fulfilling feeling for sure. That, uh, that would be awesome, especially to be at the forefront of something like that. And, and something that you're like, like we've already established very passionate about, about you had uh, used the term before when talking about the psychiatric field and you equated them to being the new, uh, the new shamans. Yeah. Uh, and I think that that's a perfect analogy because that's exactly it. And, uh, and if it, if it adds legitimacy to something that has been clearly being done for centuries like they i mean yeah. like they're, they're, these shaman have been around for a long time um, yeah. and to do it in a way that is is uh, on the up and up that's that's amazing yeah. um the thing now let's go back to the whole thought of you know government and involvement because when marijuana was being legalized i have to admit that there i i was i was uh, cautiously optimistic and I, I was i was a little concerned even before we legalized, I had heard that in, in the UK labs were working on purifying marijuana. And I thought to myself, well, why are we purifying something that grows naturally and has grown naturally for, for a very long time? Mm. Um, and I get concerned when government regulations are involved because I, I, I feel like, oh no, they're going to come in. They're going to bastardize it. They're going to reproduce it to the point where, where it's, it's not even real anymore. This isn't, this isn't what we grew in our backyard or, or wherever. Um, but you're doing that with this process. What, what do you say to people who, who say they're concerned about the government standards watering down a natural product? Right. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a tough balance. I mean, there, there are several reasons why the government would want to do that. And those reasons are pretty good. I can, I can give you the, an exact example for, for what we're going to face uh, very shortly. Um, you know, for, because there's, we're at the forefront. We didn't know how this was going to actually, you know, uh, happen. We thought, okay, maybe we could grow mushrooms, crush them down into a fine powder, put them into little capsules, like your 
Johnson or whatever, Jameson uh, echinacea tablets that you buy at Shoppers Drug Mart. It's like, oh, it's a, you look at the thing, it's a clear thing, you see it's powder inside. Obviously, they've just taken flowers and they've crushed them up and just packed it in. We're like, okay, well, we'll just grow some mushrooms, crush it up, and you know, we can we can do a batch test for for potency or whatever. So we know that this lot is X amount of psilocybin and, and X amount of psilocin and so on and so forth. But what we're hearing from Health Canada is that they're going to want it to be extracted. So they're going to want the dose to be in a uh, extracted form at a certain concentration, which I'm not sure what that is. Well, not yet anyway. So what you're saying is, is why not leave it the way that the mushroom, you know, just crushed up mushrooms and it's all natural. And, and, and there's pros and cons, right? The biggest one, and from the government's perspective, um, is consistency. So consistency with biologically made drugs. So marijuana being one, magic mushrooms being the other, is wildly different. Fungi, I mean, I can speak more to fungi than, than plants. Fungi, they contain hundreds of compounds. So many, some we, you know, people are constantly discovering new stuff uh, in fungi. And the neat thing about fungi is they're really sensitive to the environment they're grown in. So I can, I can take a mushroom that is grown up in cottage country here in Ontario. I can go to BC in their Okanagan forest, wherever, I don't know, some forest in BC. I can get the same exact mushroom, same species. These are the same organism, right? But their compound profile will be different. So they're super sensitive to where they're grown, both environmental, the environment and the cues that they receive from the environment in a variety of ways, something as simple as humidity or, or uh, day, day night cycles or, or anything like that. These things all change uh, the composition of, of the fungi, as well as the substrate they're growing on. So if they're so if there's a, a species of, of mushroom that's a general decomposer, it can decompose both oak and maple. If I, even in the same forest, so if I go up to cottage country here and find a mushroom on a fallen maple, on a fallen oak, six meters away from each other. And I can look at their profile, their profiles will also be different. Hmm. So part of the research we're going to, to do is, is look at, different growth media. So we're gonna use, we're gonna you know, first screen a whole bunch of different uh, uh, mushrooms. So the magic mushroom, almost all the magic mushrooms that anyone has encountered um, are all the same species. So that is Psilocybe cubensis. There are a few other species in the Psilocybe genus, but they're a little bit more rare. And then there's a few other species that are considered magic in a different genus. One is Paneolis, at the top of my head, I think there might be one more. So, but it's, it's easy to say that like any magic mushrooms that you've ever had at a party, for example, 95% of them have been Psilocybe cubensis. And then there is at least 
I mean, off the top of my head, maybe 50 to 100 strains. So subspecies differentiation uh, from all over the world. So you'll hear them called Amazonian and Mexicana and uh, Peruvian. And so they're all the same species, but grown in different parts of the world. They're, they probably originally nat naturally disseminated to those parts of the world, but they're all the same species. And, you know, you can read online the different highs people get. And so it's, it's obvious they have different chemical profiles, even though they're same species. So bringing that back to, to, to Health Canada and government regulation, biological things are extremely variable. So I think that's where most of the sort of regulation comes from. We need to be able to standardize uh, these things in a way that it can be reproduced, right? So this doesn't happen with chemically derived drugs, Tylenol. So they put, they produce acetaminophen, they put 500 milligrams into every tablet, and then they make a batch. And then next year when they make another batch, it's like exactly the same. Um, or it's, the variation is very, very small. But something coming directly from, from a living thing has the, it has the likelihood of being different every time you make it. And we can't just be releasing that to the public, right? So Health Canada's primary directive is, is drug safety and, and safety for the public, right? And when, when you enter into the good manufacturing practice um, uh, world, uh, the idea is that Health Canada, every drug that's produced that goes into or onto a human being in Canada or potentially a Canadian manufacturer exporting uh, to another country, they need to know everything about that drug for, I think, seven years. So they should be able to call you up and say, batch of Tylenol, one, two, three, four, five, six, from three years ago, I want all your paperwork on it and I want it in three days. And you have to be like, okay. <laughs> and you have to hand it over, right? So th that's their primary directive. So obviously the government gets a bad rap and for sometimes <laughs> rightly so, <laughs> but uh, they're also there for, for a reason, right? So the thing I could see sort of happening with magic mushrooms is, is the potency thing. So one, you take one pill one day and you're like, okay, I feel great. And then the next day you take another pill and you're like, you get super high or something. Right. So that has to be controlled because, um, you know, people, you know, take medicine and they, they have expectations from their medicine and it can't just be variable every day. Right. So that's the main thing. Uh, the, the downside is, 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 obviously extracting so the active ingredient psilocybin out of the mushroom extracting anything out of something you're sort of not using it holistically right so there's probably synergistic effects so when you consume an entire mushroom you know we can reliably say that the active ingredient is the thing that's making you high but we don't know those other 99 compounds, how they're acting either synergistically or antagonistically. Maybe they prevent you from getting too high, or maybe they, who knows, like they're, they're, those relationships have not been worked out yet. And, and we're probably far from, from doing that. Um, so that's the downside, right? That you would, you 
you're using something isolated and you're not getting necessarily the whole effect. Someone told me a couple days ago, they were reading about microdosing mm-hmm. and they were telling me, it's like, hey, have you heard like when you microdose, you should, and they, they use the term stack, stacking, never heard of it before. So you should stack your microdose with a dose of lion's mane. So that is a, uh, a fully legal mushroom that grows off the side of trees. I forget which tree. You could find them in the forest. They actually grow in this area, very relatively common. Um, and it's been, uh, it's been perceived as medicinal, I think in Chinese uh, traditional medicine for millennia. And it is recently becoming a medicinal. So you might be able to find a tablet of just lion's mane mushroom, or it might be included in that melange of mushroom uh, pill that, or coffee or whatever. So it's one of the common um, medicinal ones. And uh, so they said you can stack your microdose with lion's mane and niacin, which I assume is, I think it's a vitamin that you could just pick up off the shelf over the counter, I should say. Um, and that's supposed to have some synergistic effect um, and, and make your microdose work even better. And so, I mean, there are synergistic effects, uh, I guess, both within the mushroom and, and from other uh, compounds, uh, which is seemingly really cool and opens a whole new uh, way to, uh, to experience these things. But, uh, but yeah, anyways, I'm digressing a bit. No. Re- regulation is... You know, it's good and bad. I I would say. <laughs> I I, uh, I I find it's really interesting when people do start to experiment with different things, holistic, holistically speaking, of course. And very few times do I ever hear people refer to their regular diets as a a potential synergistic synergistic exchange. I have to assume that you know the most legalized drug in the world, caffeine. Um, sugar, uh, carbohydrates, all of these things are going to affect what you put into your body, even if it is a holistic thing. But people don't tend to pay much attention to that. Um, and, and I do get concerned when people say, oh, you know, I, I tried CBD and it doesn't work. Uh, right. You know, f- my first question is always, how long did you do it for? <laughs> you yeah. know, it's like, well, I did it for like three days. Okay, well, yeah. you're going to have to give it a little bit of time to to work and, and kind of yeah. sink into your system. And then you do have to be consistent. You have to be consistent with your sleep. You have to be consistent with your stress levels, how much screen yeah. time you're getting, like all of these <laughs> things, right? Like, oh, yeah. but people are looking for that quick fix and that, that one solution. If I yeah. just back all of these things, then I'll be good to go. Yeah. But, yeah. So, okay. So like not all these things have been worked out, right? Mm-hmm. I think it's easy for, for someone to go to a doctor and the doctor says, I prescribe you X medicine, take it every day for the next 30 days. And you will see that your heart rate or your blood pressure has been decreased or whatever, because we know that, right? Like we have like so much years of data to, uh, to say, Hey, this is how it works. And we know with something like CBD, uh, CBD specifically as coming from the marijuana plant, I think, you know, people expect to, maybe get a a little buzz off it or something, right? Which is not really what it does. And it hasn't fully been worked out, or at least maybe that's not being communicated to to people. You need to take this for 30 days. 
this much per day, you need to, you know, do this and that and don't counter with some other drugs or this and that, and then you'll feel something, right? And, and I'm sure that time is coming. It just takes time for sure. It's, yeah. it's, uh, it's a great point you bring up because it's, you're talking about baselines, right? And, and you're yeah. talking about that, that time, uh, you know, that it takes to get the data in. Um, oh, yeah. You know, people have been using marijuana for a long time, but it's only since oh, yeah. it's been legalized that companies and governments have been able to, I guess, legally and openly uh, start to collect the data and see what yeah. it's actually saying to them, right? There was yeah. a lot of supporters of marijuana for years, and then it really started to come to uh, to light that, you know, hey, teenagers probably shouldn't be doing this because marijuana, although it's not you know, addictive, and it does have a lot of healing qualities in a lot of different ways on a developing brain, it's not so good. Yeah, Um, absolutely. You know, and then even trying to tie that to alcohol is the same, right? Oh, God. Yeah, that was that's the that's the foundation for America's or USA's 21 year old like that, that 21 year old was decided based on alcohol's effect on brain development. And that's what they deem to be okay, the brain's stopped developing. So that's when you can start drinking, which, you know, again, regulation, good and bad. It seems a little high. It seems a little steep. It was, it came from a good place, I think, but, uh, you know, but uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, how wild is it that, like how many strains of marijuana are there and how different are each of their effects on you? And there's basically two species and hybrids they have hybrids now i guess and then i think now they i don't know if the, if a third one's coming around ruderalis maybe but it's basically been indica and sativa for as long as i've been alive and imagine there's like there's got to be hundreds like maybe 500 strains easily and you know some are similar but some are really different making you the the way uh, the way how it makes you feel, right? And that's that's just wild. And I'm, I think mushrooms are going to be uh, the same thing, right? So we're really excited in 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 how that research is going to unfold, and and sort of being on the forefront of that of that research. And um, yeah, that's going to be really cool. So you were talking about extracting and and trying to find these baselines. Um, we had talked before about a little bit of this process, and I found it utterly fascinating, you know, collecting spores and so forth. And I wanted you to walk me through that again. So, so what, what is going to be some of the, uh, the first courses of action for you and the things that you're going to be doing in order to be able to create something that is duplicatable and meets the government standards, which I know the standards are still being identified, but how, how are you guys going to do this? Yeah, basically, I mean, we're going to start with, with a period of, of basically, discovery right like we we're gonna need to collect uh, as many different strains of, of mushrooms as we can collect i remember way long time ago i used to have to like before you know it was prevalent on the internet to just order a, a spore syringe or some spore prints um used to have to like put a dollar in an envelope and send it to europe and then like six weeks later, you get a little envelope in the mail and you get some spores. And, um, and, and those are some of the things that like carried some of the early uh, pioneers in this, in this field. But we're going to be doing essentially the same thing. We're, we're, we're looking at collecting uh, as many strains as possible with as much history as possible. 
right? Because that's that's really what it is. It's it's about uh, history. It's about reproducibility and and how long something's been around and how long people have been growing it. So it's almost like we need to dive into these uh, decades old like spore trading networks that have been uh, that have been around and and see some of the strains that have been passed around for for decades. And those are the ones that are going to be really interesting to to look at, right? Because if you give me some spores and I grow them, right? And now I I collect some spores from what I've grown and I pass them along to someone else. They're now different than what you gave me, Mm -hmm. right? So every generation, there is going to be adaptation to the environmental conditions, the way I grew them, which are different than the way you grew them. And then when I pass them to someone on these spores have been passed around for, for decades. So it's, it's going to be really interesting. There's also some sort of, from my research, some sort of internet folklore about these strains and, and sort of famous people in, in the scene, so to speak, that have pioneered some of both the growing techniques um, and uh, new and different strains, um, which I'm dying to get my hands on. There was a wild story I read, must be a decade ago now, about his internet name was Professor Fanaticus. And he pioneered a method called the PF Tech. And it was a revolution in grow-at-home mushrooms for the, uh, I guess, psilocybe hobbyists, right? So, and you can read cool stuff online about the guy. And I think he was also responsible for some new strains. I'm saying he, I think this, it was a he, but I mean, I don't know, it could be a she. Uh, Some new strains that are still kicking around today and super popular today and are still actually hard to get. Like you're, you try and order them and they're out of stock and it's, they're hard to get. So these are the kinds of, of sort of things we're going to dive into, sort of the folklore around it first, and then trying to get some of these strains that are sort of uh, have been around for a little while. Yeah, it's very su- super interesting. And once we get them, then we start um, basically growing them. And then we're going to have to sort of set some criteria as to what we're looking for. And I guess it's off the top of my head from, from speaking now without spending the time uh, doing the research yet, um, I mean, we're probably going to be looking for uh, uh, psilocybin content. So the active ingredient, obviously, and how much of a percentage, uh, what the the variations of percentages are in the different strains we can get our hands on. So that'll be both dictated by the strain as well as how we grow them. So it's kind of like a, a matrix, right? Like, so these are all the strains, these are all the growth mediums, And we're just going to have to plow through it and do basically um, chemical analysis. So we'll probably do um, sort of uh, uh, HPLC mass spectrometry to look for the content and compare them all to see what we get. So I think the range is going to be from half a percent to 2% dry weight of psilocybin content. So we're going to see what we can get. And then we're going to, so once we, we go through this matrix, um, it's probably, you know, we'll probably shortlist five of them, 
to, to really focus on and see if we can uh, do uh, sort of grow them or do something and basically get the content up as, as much as we, we can and grow them as optimally as possible. And then once we get that sort of streamlined, basically keep doing it and see if we can reproduce it. So if we can get, you know, if we pick this one strain and we can grow it and then we'll grow it again, grow it again, grow it again, keep testing it. How, what's our variation on, on what we're coming out with as the final product. And then um, once we're comfortable there, we're going to have to send it for an extraction. So that'll be probably at a, at a company that specializes in that. Um, we're considering doing it ourselves. It depends on the scale. So we're going to try and extract uh, pure psilocybin and psilocin. So those are the two active ingredients. And yeah, and that'll, it'll all be new. It'll all be new for us. And, and sort of the, the doses we get are going to have to kind of, I guess, be researched with some of the psychiatrists and see what they're wanting, what they're expecting, the doses that because I, I think there's probably research on that there's some literature on the psychiatry side of, of the things that have been tested um so we're going to work in conjunction with them to kind of nail that down and and come up with some little dose little pill i assume it's going to be in a like a liquid gel format like your you know tylenol liquid gel in that little gelatin thing and it's all liquid inside and um, very standardized. And uh, so that's what we're aiming for, I believe. And um, yeah, very exciting. So then, so at this point in time, you have to first identify what you can reproduce on a consistent basis, and then it goes to extraction. Yeah. Okay. That's cool. I was wondering, I was wondering about that. You, you had said something that really caught my attention in terms of finding the data uh, and, and learning new techniques. I mean, like this is, this is legalized fun playground stuff, right? Like this, this is like, you're, you're looking into folklore and, yeah. and you're figuring out how how successful people have reproduced mushrooms and their techniques. And from my experience in talking to different people in, in different fields, it's the it's the people who are the true fans of the 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 topic. Um, yeah. And this this can be anything from growing marijuana to um, reproducing collectibles from movies uh, and stuff like that. The, the people who truly pay attention and truly have a respect for it are the ones that are out there busting their ass in order to figure out the best ways to do this. And you guys are going to dig up that literature. When you talk about the data that is out there, because, you know, we had, we've talked about data and how there's not a lot of it, you know, in terms of what marijuana and, and, and now, you know, uh, mushrooms what kind of data are you talking about there? You're saying that there is a lot out there. So what kind of data is that? Is that the folklore stuff that you're, you're referring to? Yeah. I mean, there, it is, there's, there's, and, and I, I use the folklore term just to repeat yeah. what you said, not, not to uh, denigrate it at all. Oh no, no, not at all. There's, there's a lot to be gleaned from that. I actually give a lot of uh, a credit and respect to folklore in general, as it is uh, sort of uh, the way that things, 
you know, were explained before we got a microscope or something like that, right? It is uh, something to be respected for sure. I'm, um, I'm often reminded of, uh, of astronomy, right? Yeah. And, and how that right. was, that was a pipe dream and, and literally people were burnt at the stake, uh, you know, for, for having absolutely. the thoughts that they had about, re, re, you know, the, the uh, solar system and the sun, yeah. uh, earth not revolving around this, uh, the sun not revolving around the earth and so yeah. forth. And now so, yeah. we got people just building spaceships and going, <laughs> going in space. So there you go. <laughs> Couldn't even see those planets, but people knew that they were out there. So clearly yeah. This is is very similar, right? That that folklore. Yeah. There is some people might not have the actual proof because we haven't had the clinical studies, but but that doesn't mean that they're wrong, right? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, in terms of, of I mean, we haven't fully nailed down exactly, you know, because it's so new. It's easy to do things when it's kind of been done, and you're like, okay, well, there's already these metrics, so oh, we have a new. Uh, product, how does it fit within these metrics, right? Like, oh, here's Tylenol extra strength. Okay, well, how does it, how does it compare to regular Tylenol on, you know, pain killing ability, this ability, that, you know, and those, those criteria are there. We don't even have those criteria yet. And that's part of the, part of it is, part of it is moving forward on sort of our best educated guessing. And then part of it is getting the feedback and creating the criteria so that down the road we can we can narrow it down and, and have consistent criteria and things like that. So um, we still are in the early stages of that, but um, I'm I'm interested in, in collecting the specimens that are sort of the famous specimens from you know the internet fandom over the last two year uh, two decades of of hobbyist mushroom growers because there are some super famous super common and, and well-grown strains out there like golden teacher for example like golden teacher is worldwide everyone grows it everyone loves it i remember hang, hang on one that? second just a golden teacher okay. golden teacher <laughs> <laughs> Just know this is purely for professional reasons. I have to have absolutely, all my notes in absolutely. line. Yep, go ahead. I remember I was I was I was going on a trip and I had a layover in Amsterdam. So I'm like, okay, let me see what it was the first time I've been to Amsterdam. Well, let me see what Amsterdam is about. This was let's say 15, because I know I know now Amsterdam, they they no longer sell magic mushrooms, I believe, to to tourists in their in their shops there. But they did when I was there. So, <laughs> so I, I, I remember looking in the window of the shop at all these shrooms for sale and Golden Teacher was one of them. And I'm like, wow, you know, I've heard of Golden Teacher in Canada. Now I'm seeing Golden Teacher in, in Amsterdam, I think. So something like Golden Teacher is, is one of the, the, if I were to speculate, it's probably the most commonly grown strain. So it's just super interesting to see, you know, to do the research, see what's out there to get uh, strains that have history, right? And and it's very similar to, you know, what we do in, in microbiology. Like we have strains that we use in uh, for a variety of reasons. And we use them every day. These are the strains, right? So they're, let's say you make uh, Petri plates in your lab. 
they're petri plates for growing for doing your tests and if you make a batch of petri plates of the most common media there are five organisms that you need to test on your media to make sure that media passes and works right those five organisms are the standard organisms and they have a history right labs have been using them for decades right so when i say my media i've i've tested it with Oh, what's one of the organisms? Uh, Staphylococcus. So Staphylococcus, very common bacteria. The Staphylococcus I'm using is the same one that they're using and they're using and they're using. And we're all testing our media to make sure that that works, right? So microbiology is sort of has all these sort of uh, uh, strains and uh, there's a lot of focus on, on organisms and strains with history. And once one of those strains is established as the strain for, let's say, testing this medium, petri plate uh, uh, medium, it's the strain and everyone uses. So there's a, there's a real cool like historical aspect there, which is, uh, you know, constantly carried on. And, uh, and that hasn't been established here for psilocybe mushrooms. And I think we have uh, an opportunity to sort of to get in there and, and claim some of those strains as being the standard strains. You know, microbiology is a very, science in general, I would say is a very like, you know, we look back to our, our predecessors, you know, when, when someone discovers a new species of someone, they may name it after their supervisor or, or you know, some respected scientist in the field that they like. So it's a very uh, historically historical looking um, and historic, historically respecting field. Um, science has always been like that. So, I mean, uh, since there's nothing out there, I mean, the only place to look is sort of this, this sort of internet folklore, right? So it's, it's kind of cool. Um, there are probably other places to look. I, I'm sure there are, there are some scientists who have been working on it. And so, I mean, we're going to have to turn over all rocks and, and see what's out there and see, because if there's data on something, it's always easier than starting from like something you, you get off the street, literally, right? So it's, it's even if someone's been doing some weird research and they've been growing a, a mushroom in their lab for like five years, that's already five years of data that is like, we wouldn't have to replicate, right? So that's, um, so we're looking forward to that. Uh, it's gonna be really fun. That's a, that's a real interesting point. So would you guys um, not bother with say like sh street mushrooms as opposed to kind of gathering up a bunch that, that do have at least, at least a year of history of somebody growing this consistently? Yeah. I mean, with, with, you know, street mushrooms, I'm, I'm picturing myself doing a drug deal on the corner here. <laughs> Obviously you got your for, clearance. You got your clearance. For, yeah, fine. for the purposes of science. But uh, <laughs> yeah, for something like that, we like definitely wouldn't know like who grew them, where they came from, what. I mean, we could sequence them in our lab, but sequencing again, uh, depending on how you perform your genetic sequencing, you you generally target like species level identification. And most of these mushrooms are the same species. So you, it doesn't lead you anywhere until you start sequencing multiple genes in, in, in a genome to try and really hash out the subspecies variations. 
that it wouldn't show in your sort of typical thing. So yeah, we, we would look at, I mean, there are like spore things online, right? Where you can like order a spore syringe or something and you can grow your own mushrooms in your closet or something. That's what they're always advertising. So, you know, there's at least some uh, reproducibility there. They're obviously running a lab, so to speak, to grow the mushrooms, to get the spores, to make the syringes, to sell them, right? So they've been at least doing it for, for, for some time. So yeah, it, we're, we're going to keep our eyes open for, for things. Um, there, there's obviously researchers, I assume, in the Netherlands. They're usually on the forefront of, of fungi in general. Um, one of the largest uh, fungal uh, research organizations is in the Netherlands. So they're, they're heavyweights in the field of fungi in general. And I assume they're also heavyweights in, in psilocybe. So, I mean, I think we've uh, already been talking to, to someone from there. So, I mean, it's just the discovery phase now. It's hard to look at the big picture or, or see it all in one lens because it's all we're kind of putting our uh, tentacles into, into everywhere and seeing what we can get. But um, uh, there's stuff coming from there and there's, there's uh, going to be different things. What I think is going to be interesting, maybe less so for uh, health from Health Canada's perspective, but uh, more so for me and maybe even the clinical the clinical guys uh, is is if there's a way to to associate the high experience that you get, so that you kind of get when you order like mushrooms online, it'll say like Golden Teacher, and then they'll have criteria like visuals three out of five body, you know, you, you know, it, it might be even easier. An example is easier with marijuana because that's been, that's kind of been around for a couple of years now and they'll say body buzz and visuals and mind buzz. Appetites and, and yeah, these patterns. kinds of criteria that, you know, and those, someone had to develop those, those criteria. Right. And so, and it's funny. So, I mean, something like, it'd be curious. I'm very curious to see if we can link sort of that what I'll call like metadata or the experience data of, of a mushroom trip with something genetic, something, uh, you know, in its sequence. I, I don't know if we can, because I, I don't know if those variations are represented in the sequence or if those are a more epigenetic factor something that might arise the way you grow it, the environment it's grown in, and may not have a little gene in there that, you know, dictates visuals, right? Yeah. I, I probably doubt that's happening. Um, I mean, there's only one way to find out, but I guess there, there's, there's genes for the production of the active ingredient. There may be more or less of those genes in different, different strains and things like that. But then how that active ingredient affects you and gives you a three out of five visual versus a five out of five visual. I'm not sure that 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 is going to be a genetic thing. We'll have to see. It, it's going to be really exciting to kind of see how this all sort of breaks down and, and pans out. So it's really cool, man. It's really cool to uh, I'm going to leave it there for now. Um, sure. because I think that it's, it's such a cool spot that you're in right now. Um, it's a, a, 
from the bottom of my heart, I really appreciate the fact that you sat down with me to explain this process because I've been fascinated with this for, for a few years now. And yeah. so to, to hear that this stuff is coming, I mean, I know that they're legalizing stuff down in the States and it's already legalized down in the States in some areas, but yeah. to talk to you and get an idea of what it takes to get it to the point where there's a standard, um, it kind of reaffirms to me that, you know, the government being involved is not automatically a horrible thing because there are people like yourself, right? Who, who are, are actually the ones that are setting the baselines and yeah. are working on this and have a true respect for it uh, and, and want to see it succeed, not for the sake of people just seeing crazy things, um, but man, like the things that people can experience on, on such a magnificent natural thing, I think everybody should have an opportunity to, to take a look at that because, man, it, we constantly talk about this world needing a shift in perspective and people having, having you know, to reset themselves and have some empathy and, and have a new respect for one another. I tell you, man, it, it's hard to be in a situation where the veil is off and thinking about racism or sexism as being something that actually takes place. Yeah. Right? So if yeah. we have something at our disposal that can be reproduced on a regular basis, man, that that's, I'm jacked about it. And all yeah. I can do is sit back and wait for you guys to do your research. <laughs> We're working hard for sure. Oh, that's amazing. That's amazing, man. Um, any final word uh, before I let you go? You've been so gracious with your time today. Uh, no, my pleasure. Um, yeah, just, uh, no, it's been, it's been a good experience. I really appreciate it. And um, we're excited about this. I think we're excited just for the ability to help people, you know, the, it's, it's really about the people. It's really about people with illnesses that, you know, just couldn't get answers, couldn't get help. And, and uh, I'm not saying this is going to help everybody, but it's going to help some. And we're excited uh, to, to, you know, contribute to that for sure. That's awesome, man. Uh, I would say keep up the good work, but the work is just starting. So I, I'm really excited to hear what you guys uh, end up coming up with, how this process goes. I mean, I know it's not going to be an overnight thing, but I would love to sit down with you again uh, and and uh, talk to you about this or, or anything, to be honest. Uh, I know that we had talked about a few other topics that were interesting topics you seem like you're a person who does have an open mind so i would definitely love to have you back on the show mike if uh, if you're open to it yeah anytime sounds great awesome man all right i'm gonna let you go um but again thank you very much for your time man i really appreciate it my pleasure chris thank you very much